Well, after lo these many months, Dan's back in the house here. I'm back. I am back. Yeah, how's it going? It's good. It's hot. I'm in New Orleans. I've uh, relocated myself to New Orleans. Uh, it's hot here. It's swampy. Um, but, you know, anytime I feel like I'm being overwhelmed by the elements, like I'm sweating too much, I just have to perk up my ears a little bit and I hear the beautiful sound of a Zydeco accordion floating down the street and it puts a smile on my <laughs> face. Are you sure you're not French? I'm pretty sure I'm German. I think you're crypto French. I think <laughs> you're true. Are you from the Alsace region, uh, Alsace Lorraine? I'm not. I'm, I don't think you I'm, hopped over the border over there. I don't think I'm Alsatian. I think I'm. I think I'm a. Uh, I think I'm just. You know, I'm just Canadian. I just happen to live in Quebec, and the easiest transition to uh, you know life in the United States is obviously through the one uh, French-speaking part of uh, America, which is uh, which is Louisiana. It does seem like a you pretty cool place. You wanted to keep place. the most uh, the most detestable element of your former city is the thing that carries over. <laughs> yeah, you don't get right. like the healthcare or anything useful or good, but you get the no, detestable get the, French undercurrent. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the healthcare. Uh, you know, things things are slightly more expensive, but the bon temps, uh, which is French for good times, are ruling. Uh, the bon temps are roulant. They are rolling on. You know, <laughs> and the saints go marching in. The saints are marching up and down every street here. It's uh, apparently people keep telling me it's football season. Yeah, you should get really into the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> you should. I did I actually really... go to a Saints game uh, when I was there like five or six years ago. Um, and it was pretty funny. Like, obviously we were in like super cheap seats and when anything good would happen, there were guys who just start slamming the metal siding in between the sections. Yes. <laughs> it's just super loud. It was very, it was a very funny way to be rowdy. Rattling the cages. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I think, um, I don't know. I've, I, I've, I'm soaking up some local, local culture though. I went to a goth night, um, at like a, uh, com like community theater space slash squat, uh, I went and saw a liturgy play at a small venue, you know? Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's interesting. There is like the, there's like the, you know, the tourist part of New Orleans that they, they project outward because they depend so much on tourism. But there's also like a pretty sweet punk scene here, uh, which has managed to survive like Katrina and uh, like housing explosion. There's I, I feel like there's also a lot of people moving here uh, in the same way they moved to Austin, you know? But unlike Austin, I feel like this place is impossible to ruin in the same way, you know? Yeah. I think it's just too uncomfortable for uh, that specific brand of, like, uh, locust-like tech uh, sector people. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, it's also, it's different from Austin in a lot of ways. It's got more history, I guess. It's more, um, you've got the... Uh, what they would consider undesirable elements there in greater numbers. Yeah. You've got the uh, problems with insurance, insuring things in a place where it could flood. Yeah. It kind of keeps it safe. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is nice. I like that about it, you know? Um, yeah. I think it's also like, it's also maybe too dangerous uh, for those people, possibly. Uh, so that, that keeps it good too. Um but yeah. yeah, it certainly is like it could be like the most unique American city where when it comes to like food and music and stuff, it just has so many distinct 
cultural elements to it, you know? That's one of the spawn points of modern culture. Yeah, absolutely. They had yeah. All the, the Caribbeans <laughs> coming in and the French and the Creoles. And totally. They had their, their trombones and the trumpets and they were tooting and it, it turned into a whole thing and it's great. Hooting and tooting. Um, hooting and tooting in those marching bands. Yeah, that's it. You know, I think also it's, it, I think it's a really interesting city for like what the future of America looks like. And this is just, you know, preliminary observation for being here on and off for the last couple of years, but like concentrated last six months. So nothing really works properly. And the state and the federal government has essentially abandoned this place. So there's kind of a like forced libertarianism going on with like how the roads get fixed and is there electricity over here? And, you know, which, which also lends to like more lax uh, stuff like permitting and. Yeah, that makes sense. But I could see the same thing happening. I could see the same thing happening, you know, in a place like British Columbia, where if it gets hit with enough like climate disasters, like if there's enough atmospheric, there are enough atmospheric rivers and summers of like catastrophic forest fires eventually. And it's already happening. Like eventually the government's just going to, going to put their throw their hands up and be like, well, it's on you, you know, like we're not going to do anything to help you. So I think there's a case to be made for like studying the way New Orleans developed after Katrina and is dealing with like what is surely going to be like another apocalyptic climate event with basically no support from the state or the Fed. That's the plot of that game, The Long Dark, the CanCon game, the survival game where you're in the the snow and oh yeah, you have to fight bears and stuff. Yeah, Basically, yeah. the plot of it is there's some sort of geomagnetic storm and you're on Vancouver Island, which has been abandoned by the government. I need to, and it's, uh, I need to play this game. I'm, I should have been consulted about this game. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's uh, it, do, it does feel a little unfinished because it's like an indie survival game. Yeah, yeah. But it is. Yeah, you're on Vancouver Island and you're like the only one there. There are a few people there and they've decided that it's too much work to maintain that. I wonder if it's you retreat back to the cities. That's all they always retreat back to the cities. Oh man, I wonder if the like the loot, you know, the loot there is just like uh, uh, leftover uh, heart, like midlife crisis Harleys that the that the boomers bought before they before <laughs> they beat it to Vancouver or whatever. It's a lot of toques. A lot of toques. Did you guys know that "Here I Go Again" by White Snake? In, when they were writing that song, the original line was, like a hobo, I was born to walk alone. But then they changed it when they re-recorded it because they were worried people would think it was homo. <laughs> Apparently that's true. And I learned about that because the guy who co-wrote that with David Coverdale died the other day. Oh, man. All right. That was in his obituary? <laughs> it should have been in his obituary. Like a homo, I was born to walk alone. Wow. Like you can tell from context. <laughs> that like that doesn't make sense, but yeah, I guess he was worried that people in elementary school would would make fun of him. <laughs> and the and the current line is drifter, right? Yeah, like a drifter. Yeah. And then he also had Tawny Katane in the video to make it extra clear that he's not a homo. <laughs> I this feel is like, my girlfriend. Feel like drifters have uh, worse connotations than hobos. Like I think of a hobo, I think of a guy whose toes are poking through his socks. Maybe he doesn't even have shoes. Um, he's got a bindle and he's floating like six inches above the ground 
because there's the 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 scent line of a pie that's cooling on a window, drifting up his nose. That's what I think of a, uh, when I think of a hobo, or like yeah, a guy just like stirring beans over a fire, War- maybe warming his hands over a uh, oil barrel filled with burning garbage. It is like yeah, drinking in sterno. the peak, like uh, like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. There was like those kind of distinctions of like hobos were like the ones who were always looking for work, but they are transient and they looked down on transients who weren't looking for work. Like there were like distinctions between hobos and other like terms, you know? Yeah. And, and like the hobos have a code too. They yeah, have the, exactly. The hobo code, they have their own written system, you know, of symbols as well. Whereas like a drifter, if I hear the word drifter, I think of a guy with long greasy hair and a denim jacket who's got like uh, dirty fingernails and like a Bowie knife, you know? Yeah, and people go missing wherever he goes. Yeah. But no one's sure. Yeah, no, no one really knows. Yeah. They just know he left town that week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, drifter is bad energy. Hobo has, you know, good energy, sometimes sad energy, but the drifter... I guess- Negative. Guys in hard rock bands, guys in bands like White Snake, those are closer to drifters than hobos. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> but instead of, you know, killing people with Bowie knives or uh, doing like nefarious scams, they're just uh, throwing television sets out the window of like a best Western. It is kind of funny that for a whole generation that was deemed like the apex of cool <laughs> to throw like a CRT out a window in a hotel and make a service worker clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. Reading about Keith Moon is so annoying. <laughs> Fuck the Everyone man. thought he was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing stuff out the window, causing problems for their manager, being too drunk to play all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And people so funny write about cool it in hindsight. Like, shots. He's so cool. It's yeah. so cool that he couldn't play during the show because he was drunk. I'm having a bit of a self-reflective moment here, guys, because at first when you were mentioning Keith Moon, I was like, yeah, that's really annoying. What an asshole. And then I remembered the early years of Wolf Parade and, you know, <laughs> de- desecrating, uh, like desecrating the Queen Mary, for instance. Some well, it was cool to do. It's cool to do in your first album, but the problem is Keith Moon was doing it in like 1979. Yeah, that's not cool. I mean, we wi- he was like in his late 30s. We wised up pretty quick. You got to get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah. But once everybody's like settled down, they have kids and stuff, and you're still doing that at the hotel. Those Come guys. On. Those guys are the fucking worst. There's so many of those guys. You got to avoid those. I feel like I have good radar now for those guys, and those guys are always to be avoided. Like the guy who's late thirties, early forties, just like has the crazy party, like let's party look. Yeah. No, no thank you. It's like a SNL has to look out for guys like big fat guys who <laughs> wearing a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> and they cut, they show up drunk, and they're like, "Man, my comedy idols, John Belushi." Chris Farley, they just got to get that guy out of yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> We're not doing this again. Like, it's the same thing as a, a guy who said, yeah, Keith Moon, uh, Pete Townsend. I like the guys who broke stuff. Yeah, uh, first three records, Motley Crue. Like, yeah, the Rolling Stones, but only what they did in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much a musical influence as like uh, ideological influence when it comes to property destruction. Yeah, they're a role model. But specifically for what goes on in the hotel room. I wonder if anybody's going to bring that back, that energy. Whenever know? someone tries to, it's always very like half-hearted. Like Phoebe Bridgers destroying a guitar kind of limply on TV. It killed David Crosby. He was mad. And now he he's dead. He was so fucking mad. Now he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> 
Speaking of ancient rockers, uh, two of them, for some reason, came out against trans child health care. It's weird how this happens like every couple months. Like you would think this stuff sort of goes in cycles where a couple months ago there was a lot of libs of TikTok stuff and Matt Walsh and all that. And then after the, the midterm elections, uh, people kind of backed away from it a little bit. Like, oh, this isn't really an electoral winner. Yeah. It's good for getting people hopped up, but we can't, this can't be our only thing. But we're, we're really but, weirding people out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The normals don't like talking about this all the time. But uh, like a couple weeks after, you'll have something like Alice Cooper saying that uh, gender affirming care for, ch- for children is a sad and dangerous fad and the trans rights movement is laughable. And <laughs> like he's saying this in an interview with Stereo Gum. He's 75 years old, and then he gets dropped by a cosmetics company called Vampire <laughs> Cosmetics. Vampire with a Y. <laughs> That's so insane. And Alice Cooper, of all people, like, come on, man. Yeah, you know? no self-awareness. This, this... Yeah, you're using a woman's name. You're wearing women's clothes and makeup. You're sponsored by a makeup company. It's the same thing Paul Stanley did. Like, Paul Stanley straight up looks like a woman. <laughs> yeah. He when you showed like me that picture of him, I was like, damn, I didn't realize just how true that is. This, <laughs> like, he is he is femmed the fuck up. It yeah, really, really undercuts. Like, I, I mean, I believe that, like, Bowie had some kind of uh, decent sort of ideological and political framework a little bit to like play with gender, you know, uh, in the early 1970s, he was fairly eloquent about it when he was interviewed, but everything, you know, these, these other sort of glam era acts, the idea that it was just transgressive, you know, and that there's literally fucking nothing else there is so funny. Yes. And I, I kind of see the same thing with certain elements of like, in, like industrial music culture, like uh, boy, shit like Boyd Rice and stuff like the, there was there was sort of a spasm of that in the late 70s, early 80s with like, so you have people like Throbbing Gristle who were actually making some kind of coherent point. And then you had people like Boyd Rice, you know, uh, just just like almost just almost like does it offend you, you know? Can you believe? Yeah. Can you fucking believe that I'm doing this? Can you believe that I'm uh, putting out a live album that has like uh, Xeroxed S and M stuff on the outside? Like it's just, I don't know. It just that all feels the same to me, and it feels kind yeah. of kind of lame feeling, and uh, shitty. Like over time, those things kind of diverged in a way that was clear, though. Of like, obviously, Eminem was just pure sensationalism, and there's no real political content to it. Yeah, uh, you know, stuff like that. But I guess the '60s is so funny because the idea of the counterculture was that it was somehow political when in fact it was pretty like surface level, you know? Yeah. And in a lot of ways, super reactionary, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Good. Yeah. Yeah. People should be able to consume more and be less connected to their community. Exactly. That's generally what people took away from. <laughs> yeah. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, direct action isn't working when faced with the, the full might of the state. So why not create a fantasy world where you can be whatever you want? And uh, the ideological bottom line is fuck you, mom and dad. Also buy my record. Like, fuck off. 
The yeah. FBI and the CIA did so much work they didn't have to do in the 60s. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, that's but they didn't point. have to do anything. Everybody, it, it was just consumption. No, they everybody, ruined, everybody just ruined it themselves. And then and then when they were like, oh, I don't, oh, shit, I don't want to get shot like those poor suckers at Kent State. They were like, maybe I'm a Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they didn't, they could have just let that shit cook and every have, everybody would have ended up in the suburbs like yeah. buying sports cars and stuff. Yeah. Like, Thinking back about their their deadhead days, yeah, and the and you can tell because the one place that they put all of their their the real sort of poisonous uh, effort into was any kind of armed black liberation movement. <laughs> like, yeah, all, that was they really had to tamp down on that hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah but like Alice Cooper, I don't know, man. But like, fuck that guy. <laughs> You're trying to shut down Woodstock, man. It is just, I, I think. I mean, I don't know about Alice Cooper specifically, but with so many of those guys, it's that they never developed a coherent ideology in their whole life, really. So now that they're like 75 and they're confronted with a media environment that they can't navigate, and there's just all this like horrible right-wing shit all the time that's like novel to them, they've just never confronted it. So they're easily, they easily buy into uh, egregious and hateful things that they don't even care about, that don't even affect them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's you, incredibly easy to get an old person talking like this. Yeah. If someone's yeah. 75 years old, like unless they are LGBT or they're they like have a trans family member or something, this is probably what they're going to say. Yeah, it's precisely because it doesn't enough. affect you that it's so easy to buy into it because you just because it matters so little to you, you'll just believe these things. Yeah. So yeah. it's the whole thing with these this like boomer and post boomer kind of I guess Alice Cooper is definitely a boomer but like is it just that like their form of resistance was don't tell me what to do and then right wing they're they're so media illiterate that when they read anything about like the trans agenda or like the woke mob that they're like that's someone telling me what to do and I'm going to say no I'm going to resist like they I feel like they think they're coming at it from some kind of revolutionary Yeah so I'm going to tell them what to do by limiting their civil rights. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh I'm the victim from you telling me not to say things, not to attack me. Yeah. Neo was the other person to do that. I forgot about really? Neo. <laughs> really? Oh, it was, it was an interview with Vlad TV. That would make sense. Okay. <laughs> God. I'm a 43-year-old heterosexual man raising five boys and two girls. That's my reality. Cool. Everybody, every celebrity has to go through this. And it doesn't even really... I don't know. I guess it would have to be someone who's really beloved by people who care a lot about this stuff. It would have to be like Kate Bush saying something transphobic for it to really hurt someone at this point. It would have to be someone people care about because it's so common for rock stars to do this now. Like, oh, Santana is anti-trans healthcare. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, every guy from every dumb band. Oh, the I guy guess from the Kiss. Lining. Okay. The silver line, well, I don't know. I guess it's a silver lining is that I think their interest in it is so surface level that they just don't care that much and they might all just forget about it because it doesn't affect them at all. Exactly. If it's not in their face in the news cycle, they're just going to completely forget that it used to make them mad for like two years, you know? Yeah, that's the good thing. A lot of these people have managers who are smart enough to say, no, we're not going to make this your whole thing. We're not going to make you Graham Linehan. We're not doing this. Don't talk about this anymore. Just play and the none of songs. these people. They're not like in the streets, like trying to take away people's civil rights. They're just saying this in interviews and then doing nothing. 
which is better than them actually being actively trying to like ruin people's lives, I guess. But, yeah. And I think they also know. barely know what they're talking about. Like they don't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They do not understand what's happening. Yeah. It has very little bearing on anything because it's some guy having a conversation one time about something he doesn't know about. And then everybody forgets about it. But it happens inexplicably. Every yeah. couple of weeks, there's a story like this. I wonder what the next one's going to be. I hope they ask Ozzy Osbourne. Bob Dylan, that'll be the next one. That'll be great. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing Bob Dylan never gives interviews. <laughs> I don't, like, I he's do, been interviewed so little for how, how much of a public figure he is. I do not want to know what Bob Dylan thinks about anything outside of... I think he doesn't want anyone works. to know what he thinks either, though. That's his saving grace. Yeah, yeah. I think he's smart enough to realize that... He's always he, wanted to he would be saying it, not like, even for um, any political reason. He just like wants to be seen as contrarian and weird, so he just won't go into it, you know? He knows that every interview would be like a we are bigger than Jesus now thing. Yeah, yeah. Be like, ah, 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 say something offensive and then have to back it up. And he hates that kind of shit because he's such a cryptic guy. Yeah. He doesn't want to explain stuff. Bob Dylan, he's less likely than anyone on earth to explain a lyric that he wrote. Exactly. Yeah, because he can't explain it. <laughs> yeah. I, I Which know. is the virtue of it is that it's weird and his good yeah, lyrics are kind of impressionistic, you know? Yeah. He's a guy you can say, well, you do it. You figure it out. I just had a horrible, horrible thought about Joe Strummer still being alive and weighing in on the trans debate from, from the perspective of like a uh, like crusty, like post-Marxist British turf, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any British musician. Man. Yeah, probably good. The, have the Oasis guys weighed in on it? I hope not. I don't think so. Usually they're just yelling about each other rather than other people. So yeah, they're celebrities like, should really hire someone to just tell them which issues they should and shouldn't weigh in on. I'd like to see like a gimmick interview show, like something like Hot Ones, you know, where it's like a strong gimmick. There should be a show that just asks really specific geopolitical questions to musicians that they're definitely not going to know about yeah. and see if you can get them to just say something insane. Well, Dan is the person that could pass that. That's I, true. I could. Trying to trick you with some shit about Albania. Yeah. Fat chance. No way. But I think, I don't think that's the optimal mode for musicians. Like I think the optimal mode is dog brain, like the Gallagher brothers. Yeah, that's, true. Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Just have embraced dog brain. I like to play music. Uh, my brother is a cunt, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. That's that's great. That's good stuff. It is the ideal. It's amazing that got parodied and lost 20 years ago and they're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to end. They're like, it's like a cartoon. They're going to be on their deathbed and they're going to be fighting. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's like something we should do. Bunker. We should maybe do this deliberately of watching the documentary about them from a few years ago because my friend kind of quickly told me about it and it was kind of a deliberate strategy to try to get them press early on by like making it seem like they're always fighting and yelling at each other and stuff. <laughs> and it turns out that like, the media environment has only gone more and more and more in that direction. So of course they're still doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, just ahead of their time. Another thing that's been really annoying, uh, which is sort of relevant, is that song... Uh, the Planet of the Bass song. Oh, yeah. Did you see oh, yeah. that at all, Dan? I sure have. And not unlike everyone else, when I first saw it, I was like, pretty accurate. This is... this. Yeah, is, yeah, it's pitch perfect. There. This is very accurate. This is, this is a great video, like, just pretty funny. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess everybody knows, but he just started... He started doing the song with other singers, I guess. Like in, ante yeah. in anticipation of like an album release or something or a single release. I could be somewhat wrong. My understanding is the the mall he filmed it at 
he wasn't allowed to film there, so he had to refilm it. Oh, that makes guess sense. Maybe he couldn't get the same actress when he was trying to refilm it, so he just replaced her without thinking about it. And then everyone was mad. And then he did a third video with the original actress. And it's just such a mess. It's like it's the opposite of everything we've ever tried to do on E1, where like if one thing starts getting too gimmicky, we gotta stop doing it. And he just had one gimmick that people liked, and he he just won't go to any other bit. It's just like let's run this bit into the fucking ground. You know? Yeah, it did. It started being funny to me when he started trying to drag it out. Like it's this like three out of ten bit about Eurodance from two thousand one. Yeah, like this very obscure thing that you're trying to make fun of, like clowning on people's. It's like a little bit in bad taste, clowning on people's bad grammar and stuff. If you really wanted to get into it, you could say the reason this is funny is because you think that Eastern Europeans are stupid and they speak in broken English. It's boring. They're behind on culture. Yeah, it's boring. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he he keeps trying to make it happen and he's like putting in so much effort and signing contracts with different people and booking venues and stuff to try to shoot this video, like no, I gotta make fun of this the uh, Venga boys. Someone yeah. needs to clown on the fucking Venga boys right now. And I don't care how many how many uh things I have to sign and how many people I have to pay. I, yeah, if you have any sense, you realize that there's no shelf life for that. It's like if E1 just did Dudes Rock forever or Joe Biden forever, you know? Like it's just you're it's immediately going to hit a wall. Yeah, look, the good thing about that type of comedy is that it's uh, you know, it's like a it's like a beautiful mayfly. It's born and then it dies. <laughs> and yeah. Then, like there's He did the music man thing. There's no yeah, there's yeah, no, he did. <laughs> no need to parlay it into uh like a multi-platform brand or like a marketing yeah. assault on the public. Well, it's like if people if you want people to like you for making that kind of video, you have to do a different genre every time. Or different concepts. You can't just do have one. Which takes that you're work. Doing again and again. That takes exactly, work. Exactly. Yeah. That's like exactly. you got to think. No, he did it by accident. <laughs> and it's probably a pre-made backing track that he used. I doubt he programmed that. Yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. I don't know anything about him if he if he makes songs or not. But yeah, maybe he did. It would be easy to do, but it would also be easy to just get a a track like um, Eurodance backing tracks, like an old CD-ROM of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just put vocals over it. I mean, fundamentally, doing or, a Eurodance song like that is funny, but yeah, it's just the idea of just ramming it into the ground immediately. It did remind me so much of the, like, it's something that I recognize because of the, we was at the club, bottoms up when I first met you, that guy yeah, who had that one, that piece of that one song that he would tease out for years and years and years. <laughs> and then he finally put it out and it did get like a million views. It was like four years later. And then he stopped making music forever. And then the same thing with the music man, that guy. Yeah, I want a party, yeah. I want a party. I want a party. Boom, boom. I want a party. He's got that one song, and he teased it out for years and years. And, and he keeps putting out it. new versions. Like, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he actually put out a new version with a new female vocalist. He's doing the no, exact new, same thing. It was a new male vocalist because he replaced his own vocals because they were super low quality. Yeah, that's right. I just thought of there is a way he could have done it better, I think, with like very little effort, which is uh, I'm pretty sure anything that got released on the state record label during the Balkan, like during the Civil War um, in Serbia, which was still like technically Yugoslavia before the, you know, for a brief period before the end of the war, they're still calling themselves Yugoslavia. That country doesn't exist anymore. You could probably take anything that was released on Pink TV which was like the Eurodance Turbo Folk channel, and uh, just release it, copyright free. 
Why not? Yeah, totally. Easy. Say it's you. Those people probably died in the war. Yeah, or, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, sue you, you know? Yeah, you're not in the EU. It doesn't count. And then you could be like, your song, the original lyrics to your song were super racist and encouraged genocide, so I've replaced them with something funny. Yeah, you, dude, you got me canceled by Bosnians. <laughs> Bosnian Americans are protesting my appearances now. I didn't even know what I was saying. <laughs> you guys suck. Yeah. Oh my God! You know, speaking no, no. of um, music that's kind of like DJ oriented, you know, when we had Nate on here a couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about how we're not DJs, but making remixes seems pretty easy to do. And now I am a DJ because Uh-oh. I made a remix. Oh no! I had to, you know, I couldn't decide what I wanted to remix. Should I do something new, something old? But I decided I had to start with a classic here in my DJ career. Um, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. I know that Zoomers kind of rediscovered it. The song is kind of multi-generational now, so I thought I could put my own spin on it and take it to a new place. And maybe we could check that out here. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Wow. Wow, I feel like I'm playing kickball in an enclosed gym. (laughs) Is that a ring shifter? It's just a, a flanger with the feedback at 100%. <laughs> Did you just put a flanger on the stereo bus of this? Is that... <laughs> well, I also sped up the tempo. <laughs> and ruined the low end, too. I feel like the low end has a nice rubbery uh, squelch to it. You know, it's like it's like acid 303 bass. So I just had to kind of... You know, take it to a more dancey. I figured the song wasn't dancey enough because it was too slow, so I had to speed it up. Yeah, it's and weird that they were too dumb to make it fast like this, even yeah, though they exactly. had the big duffel bag of cocaine in the studio, fancy, uh, famously. Oh, That's wow. a good point. How did they make such slow and like careful music when they were just hopped up on blow all the time? Man, I gotta say, you could really hear the flanger on the choruses. <laughs> I think I would have added some thunder sound effects and maybe some rain. Oh, you're right. Yeah, you blew it. I mean, the thing is, this is more for the club than it is for, like, home consumption. Like, that's more conceptual for people who are thinking about the song. This is like, I just want to dance on a Friday night right now. It would be good for old people, like dance night at the old folks' home. Yeah. And (laughs) it's Uh, in those registers that only John Acapinti can hear. Exactly. I was going to say, it's got the frequency range of like a bee that's circling your head. (laughs) Yeah, I think actually this would appeal to little kids, too. I feel like they would jump up and down when they hear the flanger. Yeah. Yay. I think I'm going to make some remixes of the the lo-fi songs on Tusk and make them sound good to piss people off. That's a good idea. I wonder if I can get the stems. I doubt there are stems of the ledge. There might be, um, there could be like the AI ones that are like separated with a, some kind of AI tool. Those are cheating. I don't believe those. You don't believe They're these? also definitely lower quality. But yeah, lots of it's artifacts. It's like if I imagined what the bass sounds like from me hearing the track. Like that's not the stem. Yeah. yeah. Man, Charles, you know, so many times I've been in the studio and working with a producer and come to the chorus part and I'm like the producer's like what do you want to do for the chorus and I'm like I want it to pop uh, but they never do anything like this and I wonder why because this is cool I know it's tr- I was trying to be kind of forward thinking with this one if, like when people say they want the chorus to pop what they mean is they want to draw your attention to it 
Yeah. And, and this really makes your ears perk up. <laughs> yeah, just they want to sound like a balloon popping the and then flying around the room. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, this could be a new genre, kind of like hyper pop. Yeah. I don't know what to call it, but. Super pop. Super pop. Ultra pop. It's not quite hyper. Wow. I could have let the oh, song great. go for another minute at the end with just the flanger because the feedback's at 100. That flanger will just keep going and going. Wee, 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 wee. It's like, come and check out this song. It was, it's amazing. It's ambulance core. Woo, woo. <laughs> yeah, totally. That was great. Yeah, that was way better than the original. Yeah, it's something new in music right now. I'm going to drop this at my uh, post-festival set in Spain next week. <laughs> I would like for Fleet Mac, Fleetwood Mac to try to recapture the virality of that skateboard video. <laughs> exactly. Because Rumors, is a, that's an album where almost every, every song on that is uh, like a number one single, an yeah. FM radio timeless classic. Why can't Go Your Own Way have its own video like that? Maybe, it, maybe like a bird scooter? You could have someone on a bird scooter. I don't know why they aren't forcing that to happen. Like dreams, you could have somebody on a penny farthing, you know? I think that that was the one they did, right? Yeah, yeah. Dreams is the one that like blew up on TikTok. Oh, okay, okay. Gold Dust Woman, that would be good. Yeah. It would have to be on like maybe a motorcycle, something dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has to be someone riding something. A horse, because, uh, yeah, Gold Dust Woman kind of has a Western vibe to it. Somebody riding yeah. a, a uh, like a beautiful horse. Silver Springs, you could be in Silver Springs, maybe in an Uber. What about the chain? What are we doing for the chain? Because we got that big tempo change, you know? Hmm, maybe someone rides their bike to the train station, then gets on the train. There you go. That's it. <laughs> and you rename it to the train. Yeah. And Charles still has that idea to make a rap beat. <laughs> yeah, I want to do a version make of a the rap chain. about the chain. Because the title just sounds like it would be about like a, a gold chain. So I think there needs to be a version where one of the verses is is removed okay. and a rap is added in its place. You will never take my chain. Yeah. I'm going to do it at some point. I swear I will. I can definitely hear 808s under the part at the end, the bass line. Yeah. I started working on something else that I'll probably play on a future episode. Uh, it was from the guy Dwayne on Twitter. He had this idea of like giving like a millennials a nostalgia gasm by mixing up D4L's Laffy Taffy with uh, Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> so I started working on a day in the life mashup with D4L Laffy Taffy and it's pretty, it's going pretty good. It's really funny to have like a really shitty in the box 2000s rap beat with like this orchestral swell and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Laffy Taffy is honestly such a great song. Dude, it is. Having listened to it a bunch yesterday, starting to work on this, I listened to it so much. I was like, oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> Something <laughs> about energetic. the bass line. Like, if you look at it objectively, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. The doot, 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 doot. But somehow it, it comes together perfectly. That's what makes that song so good is that beat sucks. They probably made it in like five minutes on their like home computer and they made so much money off of it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's very melodic. It's more melodic than it has any right to be. And yeah. also, Laffy Taffy's disgusting. It is. That's old people candy. That's They're <laughs> too young to eat that candy. Yeah, it's true. It's like Necco wafers. <laughs> Were there's original. Girl, you're like Necco, Necco wafers. wafers. Shake but, uh, those wafers. The, the, the mashup's going well because Day in the Life and Laffy Taffy are only two BPM apart from each other. Damn. Made it really? nice and easy. But I got to say this about Ringo Starr. He can't keep time like a damn... Click track can in their DAW. 
He's that he's been influenced by jazz, though. You know, the Beatles weren't about uh, you know timekeeping and precision. They're about vibe. I man. know. Well, I don't know. The what, problem uh, with the Beatles stems is that you get something like Day in the Life that has a hundred different instruments on it, where they called in the the British Orchestra, and you've got all these little bells and whistles, and then you download the stems, and it's four tracks. That's yeah. right. And it's like drums, vocals. Everything else. I yes. mean, it's literally though, because they were working with a four track, you know? Yeah, like, it was all you to had to keep bouncing bounce stuff down. down. Yeah. yeah. But it's frustrating with that album specifically because it's like, well, I've got one track with 90% of the track on it. That's where you yeah. kind of just turn it up and down. That's where AI is going to help us. We can use the AI to extract the uh, Finger Bells track from uh, Day in the Life or the Triangle track. Or yeah, and then we can the mix it slide five times whistle, too loud. The slide whistle track. Um, the toy piano track, all the put all a the, flanger on the slide whistle. All the children should re-record Sergeant Pepper's. Yes, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr should re-record it with AI. They should do a better because everyone got it. pissed off at that story. That was a couple months ago. Oh yeah, didn't uh, they add Lennon about to? Uh, it's it, they want to finish a demo that he never finished using AI, but it's also like I guarantee that song is not good. No, yeah, it was. Not. Um, I remember people got mad at it, like, oh, this is. Uh, this is like existential terror. They're ruining the Beatles with AI. But I think what it was, was they were using like a waves plugin or something or like <laughs> a, a compressor where you click learn and then it gets the gain. And then someone told that to Paul McCarty, that's AI. And he went and said, Oh, it's bloody AI. It's bloody AI. And it's like shit that was around 20 years ago. And then everyone gets upset about it. <laughs> I'm sure it's like just a uh, basic vocal clarity stuff. People talked about it like they were going to have a like virtual drummer play on it, which would be very <laughs> That'd be funny, pretty funny. <laughs> if they had like horribly half-assed AI be oh, John Lennon. Dude, we should do that for a few Beatles songs on this show. Get the stems and then replace the drums with just like, yeah, some generic, like, like the garage band drummer or something. Yeah, that would be interesting if the tempo was correct enough. I don't know if it would be with the Beatles, but it won't that be, wouldn't be but... too hard to do. If you had something that was to a click, you could definitely do it with virtual drummer. Yeah, that's or, the problem uh, is that it definitely won't be, but it might be kind of funny to have it be off time a little. Yeah, that too. You can tell it to follow stuff. Like if you have the, the stem for the bass, it'll try to follow it and it wouldn't oh. be good, which is kind of the point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty funny. Choose like the the hard rock drummer or whatever. The Logic and Garage Band drums are pretty sick. That's the only thing yeah. I really miss from Logic. That and the uh, the Verispeed thing that's built in. Mm -hmm. You can do it in Ableton and Pro Tools, but it, you have to do extra steps. But in Logic, you can just re record vocals a step down and pitch them up very easily. Yeah, that's cool. That is actually um, a good segue into uh, something we wanted to talk about, which is. Uh, the purchase of Avid. Yeah, private equity uh, sale here. They they uh, took it private. It's like, I mean, it's just like any private equity thing where I, I was reading that press release, Dan, and it's just, the thing that always gets to me is just like, the CEO of Avid is, has some stupid fucking quote where he's just like, yeah, the people at this private equity firm share our commitment to like audio engineering and stuff. Like, no, they fucking don't. Come on. Yeah, here That's we the go. The whole reason why this shit turns out poorly is that they don't care what this company does whatsoever. I found it. I'm going to read it. It's going to be amazing. So Jeff Rosica, which is Avid's CEO, um, said about the merger uh, or the merger, the takeover. Uh, Since our founding more than 30 years ago, Avid has delivered technology that enables individuals and enterprises who create media for a living to make, manage, and monetize today's most celebrated video and audio content across the globe. STG shares our conviction 
STG shares our conviction and excitement in delivering innovative technology solutions to address our customers' creative and business needs. And that is the first fucking red flag right there, which yeah. is a private equity firm's innovative technology solutions are one thing and one thing only, which is basically gutting the company and then being like, how do we make this uh, exponentially keep growing? You know, and that will be subscription-based bullshit and using STG's proprietary cloud services. Yeah, yeah. That I'm looking is at this what now. They but want. They Evan want. has already moved over to subscription bullshit, so it's only going to get worse than that. So, like, you know? yeah, I guess. So can like, you buy Pro Tools now? Yes, you can. No, so I went through. I mean, you, not real. Well, not not so now. I went through this but, process. Yeah, I, I talked to Kurt about this because he uh, is like, you know, has to deal with this shit all the time for his both job and hobby, I guess. But it's like maybe in like 2020 or 2021, they started phasing out perpetual licenses. And I had one that was good for long enough um, where I was still using one until like two or three months ago. But I made the stupid decision to finally update my uh, OS, like OS X. Cause I was like, I, you know, I thought I was being like dutiful by like checking like, oh yeah, uh, the new OS X is compatible with the newest Pro Tools. It's all going to work, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't realize that I now went into a version of OS X that's beyond the... Um, like beyond the coverage of the last perpetual license. It's not compatible, yeah. Yeah, like no. your perpetual license is perpetual for old versions. Exactly. But oh, no God. perpetual ver- license will ever be good from now on. Yeah. So you have to switch to the monthly subscription or it's yearly subscription. It's so whatever. fucking stupid. So like, yeah. I can I'm see- I'm glad I pirated it. I can see, and I know people who, you know, like the studio that I've been working out of, like obviously needs Pro Tools, needs Pro Tools on four or five different computers. Yeah. Synced up running it's a massive investment you know tens of thousands of dollars in investment into avid right um so obviously if they switch to subscription they're going to pay for subscription because that's what they use they need it i think the thing that's going to be a bridge too far for people is the fucking cloud thing because like if you (laughs) if you are working on a new album and i know that they'll introduce the cloud thing soon but like if you're working on a new album and they're like oh never lose a backup like uh unlimited like you know unlimited undos like no self-respecting high-level band is going to trust fucking stg with like a new album stems data demos right yeah, and, it's a security ex- issue. It's just like accessing your own files kind of issue. If your yeah. internet goes down, there's just so many stupid issues yes, that don't exactly. need to be introduced. Because like serious backup shit is on is on tape, right? Like that. Like if you get yeah. like Amazon's Pro like super data backup thing, it's on digital tape. It's like physically air gapped from the internet, like. That's what it is. It's not STG's cloud services. It's not a, you know, uh, it's it's not this uh, complex financial instrument trading company's cloud services. But this is their uh, so uh, this is their response or their their co statement from STG's managing partner William Chisholm. Just Chisholm. All right. Chisholm, uh, maybe? I don't know. Chisholm said, uh, quote, STG has admired Avid's heritage as a category creator <laughs> and pioneer in the media entertainment software market for many years. I don't know what the fuck category creator means, but that... Yeah, that's an amazing phrase. It's, it, it's just meaningless. We are excited to build on the comp- company's history of delivering differentiated and innovative content creation and management software solutions. So that they're basically calling Avid's video editing 
and and audio editing platforms, which are two the kind of two industry standards, content management software solutions. So that's that's a bad side right there. Yeah, you know? none of these people have ever opened a Pro Tools session in their lives. Or even understand anything about making quote unquote content or entertainment, you know, or yeah. how the industry. We look forward to lever- leveraging our experience as software investors to accelerate Evid's growth trajectory with a deep focus on technological innovation and delivering enhanced value for Avid's customer base. So that basically means this dipshit is going to, like, this company is basically going to introduce cloud services and the one thing that has kind of seduced all of these dumbasses, which is AI. Oh, I hate that. It makes me instantly not trust a company if they roll out some AI stuff because I know it's not going to be real stuff. No, it's They're all just bullshit. trying to get in on the buzzword. They're just renaming some other shit they already had AI and they think they're tricking me. You're not. Yeah. But I guarantee you, like, Pro Tools will come with some, like, sort of uh, bundled, like, having trouble finishing that pesky guitar take, you know, like, uh, uh. fresh out of ideas. Like, <laughs> but I mean, like, AI is used in useful ways in plugins already that, it, like, yeah, that I, don't change their basic function. Of, like, um, Guitar Rig 6 from Native Instruments is so much better than Guitar Rig 5. Yeah, because uh, the the amps are trained on just a larger amount of information using AI. Like to me, that's a good way to use AI in a plugin. Is just making the amps sound more realistic. Also, like but by uh, in- introducing con- shit that people don't want or need. It's just so stupid. Yeah. yeah, like a good example of AI is like convolution reverb or hybrid reverbs that yeah, use totally. like uh, artificial spaces. You know, which has been what like fifteen years in the making, but now. You know, some of those convolution reverb algorithms are like genuinely like shit that I haven't heard before. It's not like, it's not like, uh, oh, we're making a clone of this uh, CE2 chorus pedal uh, for for lo-fi wobble. It's like a new kind of effect that I haven't heard. That's kind of yeah. Which like that is something that people needed was new effects because a lot of the so many effects that come out are clones of old stuff, and it's a little depressing. It's like, yeah, yeah. Can, we we should have uh, the ability to make new cool sounds rather than flangers from the '60s. You know, yeah. I feel yeah. like I've become more excited about plugins again. Of like Alex, like you were talking about earlier, like fake acoustic drums are becoming almost good. Like they're finally like much better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that like cymbals, especially, they're still like room for improvement, but they sound so much better than they did like five years ago or something. Yeah. Getting the nuances on a hi-hat, right? That's the hardest part. Absolutely. I mean... At this point, I'm just all... I'm doing all drum machines, so I kind of lost the ability to do acoustic drum set setups, but it is better than I remember it being. Like, it was so hard to record music on a computer in like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in in the early 80s when uh, Roland put out the the TR-606, like the companion to the TB-303 drum machine. Like that drum machine has a terrible kick drum, but it has pretty much regarded as some of the best hi-hats out of a drum machine. And the way they achieved it was like some insanely complex patch with like eight square wave oscillators cross-modulated with each other, you know? (laughs) Like hi-hats and cymbals are hard to, they're hard to get, they're hard to fake. But there's... Yeah, like on the plugin side of things, there are so many companies making actually interesting plugins now. Like uh, Noise Engineering, who's like a modular synth company, pivoted to or added uh, software like DSP stuff to their modular 
uh, to their modules and have now just straight up been doing plugins. And they're great. They're like uh, really weird distortions that are like I have never heard before, you know? Um, yeah. Really weird, like uh, hybridized old digital synthesis techniques that sound like kind of like nothing else, you know? Like that's exciting. Yeah. I've definitely been in a mood where I'm trying to learn to be way more creative in the box. And it's kind of like, I'm never not going to like guitar because it's the thing I can play most comfortably. But it's fun to just come up with ways to utilize it in the box in ways that don't that don't sound like shit either. Is the problem like in, historically? I think just in the box guitar sounds so bad. Oh yeah. But now we're at a point where you can create things that don't sound terrible that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm downloading Guitar Rig Six now. Yeah, it's worth it. Like all the new, it's like they still have some of the old amps in there, but the newer ones, I forget what they call. It's like ICM or there's some acronym that distinguishes them. One of them is called like Chicago something. Bass Invader is one of them. I think those ones sound better than any amp simulators that I've heard. Oh, I th- That's nice. I like the um, the rectifier in that. Yeah. And uh, the Fender clone in the Vox. That's what's on most of my tracks that have guitar on them. I think yeah. I think it's the same for synths right now too. There was kind of an era where like digital digital synths were like mainly relegated to like I don't know like big EDM tracks like in the 2010s like like this sort of big EDM super sauce sub bass shit. But now I would rather spend, you know, $200 on an interesting like boutique plugin that makes sounds I haven't heard before than drop four grand on like the latest sequential circuits clone of the profit five. Yeah, absolutely. Like I love hardware, but there's just almost, I mean, if you're trying to make something sound interesting and new, there's almost no reason for it. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Even, um, I don't think we've talked about this on this show yet of, uh, a lot of bands have started using amp simulators live just like with a cabinet. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think I, Weezer is one of those bands. Oh, you do? Yeah, most big yeah. touring bands, I think. Most yeah. rock bands. I went through a whole process, like uh, not last year, but the year before, of like, you know, getting ready to do the Arcade Fire tour. Um, basically switched from a pretty extensive pedal board to this thing called the FM3, which is like a floor unit. And it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a complete amp cab and even like pedal and room simulator. So I built out the set using that and I was pretty resistant to it at first, but it sounds fucking great. Yeah, like it, that's it, one of those things. We only reached the point in the last few years where it sounds as good as anything. Yeah. So any resistance to it is just based on the fact that that stuff sucked in the past. But now at this point, like... I there's, think it's hit the breaking point, you know. Oh, there's all having s- to plug in twenty different pedals, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part. That having rocks. the little chords, one of them gets lost. The coolest part is mid set when you're like, "Why is there no sound coming out of my guitar?" And then you have to crouch on the floor and unplug yeah. and plug every in every single patch everything. cable. <laughs> yeah, every single power supply, every patch cable. But yeah, yeah, that's th- hubris. <laughs> exactly. When that, someone gets sick, they get brought down by their own pedal board. Yeah. yeah just like, ah, defeated. But the tr- I think the big trick with the FM3 and any, and like Kempers and stuff like that is a lot of them have um, insert functions, which means if you do have a pedal that does something specifically nice or weird, uh, like I've had the 
uh, Fairfield, like shallow water pedal. Oh there's, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. I tried to recreate that with the FM three and it was kind of a losing, like building LFOs and like, uh, time, you know, affecting the time on a very short delay. It just didn't sound right. But there's, but there's like inserts. So you can, you can insert the pedal into the chain and then having an actual fucking amp on stage with this, with the FM three coming out of it and miking that and blending it is good. Yeah. That works. That does seem like the cutting edge, you know? Yeah. Like you further cook the signal through your amp of choice and then you're good. Yeah, yeah just, the in-the-box pedal things, I was always kind of skeptical of those in the past because the, the ones that people would have would, would be like the Line 6 ones. Oh, and yeah. all the presets would be like chorus to the max, uh, too much distortion, too much reverb, too much everything. And you'd go through them and be like, every single one of these sounds like shit. And at yeah. that point, I didn't really know how to dial it in myself. So I'd just be like, ah, fuck this. I'll just I'll use the Boss DS1. Yeah, classic. That's the thing. There was yeah, but I do think that that stuff uh, did have. Even if you were good at dialing it in, it still had its limitations. Where it doesn't sound quite as good. There's really I a, yeah. I'd like to see the ones that. now. There's really a time between 2008 and maybe 2012, like at the maybe the peak um, sort of cultural relevance of like Animal Collective, where every other band had the green line six oh, the DL, delay DL4, pedal is that with the like on the tape delay setting with the feedback set to about like two o'clock. You know, yeah, like that was the that was the guitar sound, and then post Mac DeMarco, it's been um, some kind of like tape wobble. You know, yep, it comes and yeah, line good, six good insane sound. sound that used to drive people insane back in the day. That's why they called it that. Uh, yeah, the yeah. insane think, setting the button on the amp. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, everyone had that line six spider amp, and they would all put it on yep. insane. And I think it was Dimebag Daryl's fault because that's just his guitar sound. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I played a show in Kosice, uh, which is in Czech in Czech Republic, and um, the the backline was a line six combo amp, I guess, um, and. It had the insane button, but the insane button would not turn off. There was no way to turn it <laughs> off. So I did an entire handsome first set with the insane button pressed in. It's <laughs> kind of fun, actually. How did that go? I liked it. I was just like, all right, I'm going with this. That's <laughs> what happened to sleigh bells. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The guy was they wanted to, to turn it sound. off. They just couldn't. Yeah. It was supposed to be like a surf rock record. Yeah, they run. They ran the whole mix through a Line Six Spider Amp with the insane button broken off. Yeah, that's their flanger for me. Like my flanger is their insane button. That's the punkest thing you can do is to backline a Line Six thing and then look the guitar track straight in the eye and just snap off the insane button. <laughs> be like, strap yourself in. The show's about to get crazy. Those amps would sound okay if it was on clean or you had it. You had a more nuanced take on it when you were dialing it in, but you can't really trust teenagers with those amps. When you give them all the effects, they're going to turn all of them on. There's just no way around it. If you give a 14-year-old an amp and it has chorus and it has insane and it has reverb, all of it's getting put to 10. Absolutely, man. I mean, I used to think that if you put like uh, five DS, DS1s in a row, that the sound would be more nuts and louder, you know? I mean... uh the thing that I ended up using my Line 6 practice amp for the most over time was that it had an input also where you could run like an eighth inch into it. So I'd run my iPod into it and headphones out, and then I would play along to albums I liked Yeah, through it, you know? I love it. You should do that live. Yeah. 
Play songs <laughs> off great, your iPod into the amp. Yeah, it's a great idea for a live show. Just like uh, Fortune Kit plays along to Led Zeppelin 2 live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just noodling over a Strokes record. You're Okay. <laughs> yeah. But your guitar needs to be like volume-wise about 50% louder than the source track. Oh, of course. I got to hear it come through. Yeah, man. You got to hear your sweet tone. Is the insane switch turned on? Is it affecting both? Uh, no, because it's... Back? Yeah, it would affect... Actually, no, I don't remember. I think it wouldn't affect the... You would have to have two, uh, and then you would have to have a one-eighth to one-quarter adapter, and then plug <laughs> the iPod into the second line six amp and yeah. put yeah, that to insane two. But you'd have, yeah. to pull, you'd have to pull the uh, one the, the one-eighth adapter out just like halfway, so you got both channels. This is like, uh, just like a real auteur of the line six amp. Of You got like 12 of them on stage doing different things. Different iPods going in. Yeah. I could see you getting a really good review in like the quietest or something for that. Yeah. <laughs> Call it line 666. Oh my God, dude. Yes. You You're like miking them up and then them. plugging them into each other. Yeah. 666 line six spider amps. Kind of like a Yamataka Eyes 99 board drum thing. Yeah. That he did yeah. in New York. <laughs> but call it line 666. You would have so many amps that there'd be just walls of stacks. Yes. Just amps behind each other. Charles, you got to make this happen, man. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like those things where they get a bunch of people to play a Nirvana song in a football stadium. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But without with only one person, but all the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> 600 you need a 666 uh channel a b switch like one line out from the guitar into a 666 channel <laughs> di box <laughs> speaking of like the opposite of what we were just talking about of like more digital systems yeah just running 666 yeah. uh like quarter inch cables out of it and just such a mess. Yeah. Another good bit would be to do it with tube amps. Oh my God. And right as you start, you play one note and it just stops. And then you have to run around and look for like, you're just pulling, opening the back of each amp one by one. Yeah. <laughs> one tubes. of these is blown. One of these is blown. No, we got a, we got a mismatched tube on amp 372. <laughs> like dealing with a server rack. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You need some kind of cooling system in the venue, too, because those amps put off a lot of heat. You need some kind of heat sink. Maybe you can perform at the North Pole. You do like what Coldplay does, where you know how they had, they brought the floor with them that when people jump up and down on the floor, yeah. it was like making them carbon neutral. So do it with tube amps and then have some kind of heat collector at the top that then funnels the electricity back into the amplifiers or a yeah, giant that's battery. Yeah, There you go. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go get started on that. So I guess we got to get out of here. But uh, Dan, thanks for, for dropping by. It's been a minute, you know? Yeah, nice to talk to you guys. Nice to be back. Yes, sir. Yeah.